In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today I'm going to follow the lead given by these texts and talk about work. (laughs) Work. You'll see, and I hope that this works. Truth to tell, we are just back from a mini-vacation in Canada by way of Three Lakes, Wisconsin, also known as Honey Rock Camp. I was reminded there, we took our daughter Ellie for her first experience there, which was wonderful. I was reminded there by one of our parishioners who was also there that I once preached a whole sermon on Honey Rock. She remembered it. I had forgotten it. (laughs) Wish it was always that way. Well... Another sermon on Honey Rock would be apropos. But I was also reminded, speaking of work, that this is a week of two holidays. Very Canadian way of speaking about vacations. Days of non-work. These days are occasioned historically by something that just didn't work. And that, and is, that is, didn't work out in the end. I'm referring to the status of our two neighboring nations, Children of a Common Mother is the motto inscribed on the Peace Arch, which monument stands on the 49th parallel at the Washington-British Columbia border. There are two simple iron gates in this imposing structure, and they are chained permanently open, more imposing still. Tell that to the folks proposing the Keystone Pipeline. Well, leave that. Well, our two sister nations told their common mother, in so many words, this isn't working out and we want out. Their request was inevitably granted. The difficulties for the elder sister resolved in 1776, paving the way for the more amicable separation of the younger in 1867. Everybody is friends now, and even parents can learn. Now, the reason we're talking about vacations is because we're talking about work, about things not always working out. Things were working, working very well for some, but they weren't working out for everybody. That's the story of the coming to birth of our two nations. The question to ask of history is, for whom were things working out, and for whom were they not? They were not working for the colonies, clearly, For the colonizers, yes, but for the colonials, no. It was a question of who is working then for whom. Now, I bring this extended introduction to today's text because I think that this question, who is working for whom, defines the theme that links them. And we always look for the theme that makes the scriptures children of a common mother, that allows scripture to interpret itself. This is the principle of preaching from the lectionary. You do not do a line-by-line exegesis, though I never say never to anything. But the main task is to find that theme which gathers all the scriptures together, and you will probably find yourself preaching a theme. And if that theme is scriptural, and you are lifting up scripture by revealing that the theme runs through scripture, so be it. Now, the theme, I suggest, is... Who is working for whom? In today's big healing miracles, God is obviously at work, on the job and on top of his game. 
A woman on whom the doctors have given up is healed of a chronic disease. A young girl is healed of death. Theologically, we are begged to ask some inner Trinitarian questions. Was the father working on behalf and at the request of his son, or was it the spirit? Or does Jesus simply have this power in himself? Power is the power of prayer, of course, and in neither case does Jesus seem to even have time to utter a prayer. The healings are done without, in some ways, his direct involvement. They're done through him, if you like. The prayer that he would utter is, Thy kingdom come on earth. In other words, let all things be well. Bring in that age in which I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. Still, we pray, especially when we are, like me, of Nordic descent, thy will be done is enough, and leave it to thee to bring in the kingdom or not. Well, that's some of our Reformation heritage. There's a little more to it. Thy will be done, whatever the will is, which means whatever, still requires our involvement. The trick is to determine how that works. And if you can find out how that works, I suggest you will be the first persons in the history of Christianity to have come to understand it. doesn't mean that many books have not been written explaining exactly how it works. But the more I look at scripture, there is this black box in which we pray God works. And how it all works together, we simply don't know, nor are we invited to know. So it's about prayer, it's about God working, it's about we working. And in today's readings, as I've said, the way Jesus works is rather unusual. In one case, he is bidden to pray, but not by the people who are involved. He's bidden to come and lay hands on a girl who's dead, and he brings her back to life without her involvement, so I could say I misspoke. Jesus has done, been a channel for some very powerful work there. In another case, a woman simply touches his garment, and without his apparent voluntary involvement, she is brought to healing as well. Both these women are beneficiaries of God's work. But in both of these, Jesus is quick to say, it's your faith that has brought this about. Now, the relationship between that faith, what God does, what Jesus does, and what they do is what I find very interesting. Because, again, neither the woman nor the girl pray. They do not pray. They simply act or don't act in either case. And yet God just says to them, it is your faith that has made this work possible. Now, that's fine. The problem we have is we want to pray for miracles to happen, and I think the church and the scriptures invite us to do that. But when you and I pray for a miracle, I'm trying to say this deferentially, and I don't know all of you as well as I should, 
But my guess is the odds are somewhat in favor of the fact that most of the miracles that we ask for don't happen. Not meaning to say this is an excuse to be all Nordic and stoical, but the fact is that no matter what we may ask for, it probably doesn't happen at least the way that we ask for it. It does. Now, just to make things interesting, but it doesn't always happen. When Jesus prays, the odds are very good that it will happen. (laughs) How does that work? Because Jesus refers to a little town where he could do nothing because there was no faith there. And yet the faith to which he refers here is not a faith that apparently is brought about by verbal prayer for healing in the case of the two recipients. So, made it confusing enough. How does that work? How does our faith work? How does our faith, expressed in prayer, which is an act of faith, connect with the work that God does to bring about that for which we are asking? How does our faith work? We are told, we tell ourselves, that Jesus is Lord as well. That means he is Lord right now, That means he is here and there and everywhere himself at work. Lord, something is going down somewhere in the world. There's a problem that needs to be solved. There's something going on that is not according to Jesus' lordship. Someone is sick, someone is sin sick. Clearly, if it is up to us to apply the reality of the situation to the situation, to apply the reality of Jesus' lordship to the obvious case where things are not going according to Jesus' own wishes for his lordship to be lived out, we have only to invoke the power of Jesus' name, but say the word, and my servant shall be healed. Another healing. Does that happen? Is that a guarantee? Not often, not often enough. Jesus is Lord in name, but not in deed. Indeed, we are tempted to say, and not more than uh, once. Indeed, one of our parishioners has said to me, if Jesus is Lord, uh, I want out of this, because when I look around the world, I sure don't see much signs to give me evidence of that. He was speaking in jest, but not really. This is the basic Christian dilemma. Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean? Well, think back to our history lesson. It means that Jesus doesn't work for us. Even when we are trying to cast out demons in his name and for praying for whatever we think the situation merits... He is not under any obligation to follow through with what we are telling him, asking him, even according to his attitude, his will, his whole orientation to do. Jesus does not work for us. I think this is a very obvious point, but it's one that in our terrible human fallenness, our relentless search for magic, by which I mean chemical solutions. You take the pill, you're healed. You throw the water on, you're healed. You turn the switch, you're healed. Happens every time 
It's in our control. We press the button or get someone else to do it. Maybe they have a collar on, and it's guaranteed it's what every human wants. And the witness of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation is it does not work that way. Or it works that way 50% of the time, and the other 50% of the time you're out there on your own. In other words, it does not work that way. And there's no system of learning or skill or accumulation of knowledge which gives us the power to make that happen. The highest privilege we have as priests is to pronounce God's blessing, which is simply to state a fact which exists utterly independently of his. When you think about it, at the Eucharist or at the time of forgiveness, when we are supposed to flex our ecclesial muscles, we are actually reduced to simply affirming what God has already done. Healing is a whole different story. So, is there a principle by which we might figure out how and why it is that God will do what we ask sometimes and not others? And the common principle in practice is it's faith. Faith is our quality. We're already in trouble. Faith is a quality in us. It's a natural endowment. We use it. It's like a muscle. We exercise it. And the more we build up that muscle of faith, the more power we can exercise to, as I heard once said in an AMIA church, to get God to do what we want him to do. I waited for the roof to come down. It did not, but it should have. God does not do what we tell God to do. Even if we know in our hearts that it's what God wants to do, God does not work that way. God does not work for us. And we make it very difficult for ourselves, and no matter what style of church we have and what way of doing church we have, we put someone up on a platform and make them a minister and say, this person can do the magic, this person can push the button, this person can make it happen. Go to him, and it will happen. Go to her, and things will be well. We've misunderstood something profound. There is ministry, and God calls all kinds of people to do it and gives them tasks to do. But these ministries are very defined. And ultimately, what ministry is all about, and that includes the ministry of healing, is for us to help you to heal yourselves, which means you to allow God to come in and heal you directly. Because at the end of the day, when all these gospel texts are done, it is God who has done the healing. God who has done the healing in every single case. Should we not pray then? No, 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 no. Should our pray just be, thy will be done? We can do it and be simple about it. I used to say that, and I'll close with this. I've come to the conclusion now that there really is no bad prayer. The worst prayer is no prayer at all. I do not know how that black box that connects my prayers and yours, and what God's will does works. Every explanation I've read is tragically flawed.
flawed, and it doesn't work in practice. We do need prayer. We know that. We're told that. And God will heal, and God will work in our midst. We know that. We're told that. And somehow they're related. So my practical advice to you is pray as your heart moves you. Luther, of blessed memory, says, pray for your neighbor as you would pray for yourself. Because we love our neighbor because we love ourselves. This is Luther, not some New Age guru. We know how to love our neighbor because we love ourselves. And if we do not love ourselves of creatures of a loving, gracious God, we cannot love anyone else. So if you see someone in need, I say pray for whatever you want. If you want to tell the surgeon, as we often very nearly do, what scalpel to use, go right on ahead. Pray it and pray it and batter on the doors of heaven and cry out for healing. Tell God exactly what you want to happen. The roof will not fall in. Trust me. God will do whatever God pleases, but the roof will not fall in on you or me because we got in there and said, please do this. If we're acting out of love for our neighbor and our heart is saying, heal this person, make this person well, make them better than they ever were, fix their foot, fix their arm, fix their head, give them everything back that they have lost, I think we should pray for nothing else. And finally this, God does continue to work miracles. And whether I want to believe it or not, and I do, and I think all of us do, nothing I have read has ever left me going away without the haunting feeling that God really does step into the order of his creation and do impossible acts of healing. He'll take a person whose entire brain has ceased to exist and been replaced by a cancerous tumor and let that person spend the last day of his life talking with his children. Science says it's utterly impossible. God says, watch me, I'll do it. So let us take our place with the God who loves us and pray our hearts out for whoever we love. If love is in our heart, God will take our prayers. God will put them to work. Let us trust, though, that whatever God works in the end is for his good, our good, and for his glory. But right to the end, let us never stop praying and praying and praying for what we see as God's good because he's put that in our hearts. Amen.